start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another rendition of the Jay Allen Show. Hopefully everything is fine and great in your neck of the woods. If you are in the United States of America, this is the week of Thanksgiving. So yes, that's what we have going on here today to some extent. Of course, getting ready for all that fun and loving and all that fun stuff of food that you get but that's for the most part if people are going out and about a good chunk of people that i know are staying locked up which i can understand for sure especially with everything going on but let's not bore you too much about people staying locked up i'm sure you're already familiar with that portion but let's talk about what we have going on here today so today i have the great opportunity of speaking to kevin waldahl He's a safety professional and a human and organizational performance change agent. He's definitely in love with the concepts of HOP and, of course, of learning teams. So today we're going to have a conversation with Kevin. We're going to take some deep dives into what got him motivated and talking about this all-important subject matter. Listen to this lovely interview today with Kevin exclusively on The Jay Allen Show. Well, hopefully, hopefully we don't go off the rails too much, but uh, certainly have uh, have some dialogue and discussion about where um, you know I'd like to certainly talk about the state of safety, um, as I said to you, and and didn't really know, um, you know, I think I'd prefer to have you kind of lead the Q and A, and I'd like to um, you know provide some of my feedback. Oh, don't worry. I, I normally will take the lead. Uh, we never know where we're gonna. We kind of know where we're going to start. We just never know where we're going to end. That's like the fun. That. I like that. <laughs> so, Kevin, let me just ask you straight up: How did you get started with this whole world of safety? How did it How did it start for you? Um, about well, thirteen years ago, I was working for an avionics manufacturer. Um, I was in a production role, and there was a, a posting, a new posting. We were about two hundred employees, and we had two managers. Um, you know, one was our QA manager; the other one was a um, one of our repair managers. Repair manager had technical training on his desk and the other manager had safety on his desk and they um, decided to uh, post a position for a full-time corporate safety trainer and safety person and uh, I put my hat in the ring there was six internal apps and four or five external apps and at the end of the day I had a pretty good training background from uh, a long career in the IT industry Um, Health and safety was certainly something new to me, but not not something new in the sense that I wasn't, you know, aware of it or cognizant of it or or had feelings about it. 
Um, so when I interviewed for the position, I learned after the fact that most of the internal ones were really interested in doing the training because, you know, it, it involved travel. You got sent down to the U.S. to get trained up and different things. Nobody really showed much interest in the safety aspect. And I actually went in with a different approach and I was very much interested in the safety aspect. And the training was something I'd done and felt it would be a good add-on. So I was successful in getting that opportunity. I moved up into our quality assurance department. I had probably one of the best supervisors I've ever worked for in my life who uh, continually supported me in my efforts and helped me grow in the role and, and um, really allowed me to, to take ownership of the, of the situation and, uh, you know, kind of make it my own. And I think we, we showed a lot of success and improved the, uh, the safety performance of the organization by quite a bit. And at the end of the day, we were in a high risk environment. There wasn't a whole lot of time loss injury. There was a few here and there, um, but it was an exciting uh, process for me. So now wearing two hats, I'm looking at opportunities. Well, well, well hold on, hold on, because you're going to give us the whole story. And I only got into one question. So let, let me, let's kind of, let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. So how did that whole thing go for you? So you made it clear that you weren't excited about coming down to the U.S. I say that jokingly, but if this was new to you, what did you? How did you start learning about safety that you felt comfortable enough to jump in and say, "Okay, let's run with it"? Uh, just exactly. That's a very good question, Jay. Um, just the 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 beginning with the whole process. Uh, the organization I worked for was uh, quality management, but you know we were an ISO nine thousand. AS9100 certified environment. So this this whole this whole process development thing was in my mind. So I right away, I read our corporate safety manual. Why is it written this way? So I got into our local, um, you know, our compensation boards regulations. Okay, well why why is this way? And then the first thing I learned about, while well, I took a supervisor and another sort of one day training course, well it talked about hazard recognition and and things like that. So. I began to just slowly immerse the, the knowledge I was going to need to manage this thing. I think in my in my benefit, I worked again for an organization that obviously had to have a health and safety program. The nature of our work was a high risk, certainly not what it's like what I do today. Um, but at the end of the day, we still had opportunities for improvement. And that's what we did. We went forward. So I found it very exciting. I lifelong learner. So I was on this learning curve, which I found very exciting. And I also had the opportunity, I think one of the most impressive things for me is I'm, I'm kind of a people person. I like people. That role gave me an opportunity to have a relationship with every single person within the organization. And I really, really cherish that. So do, do you feel to an extent, too, that maybe, and I'm just asking, of course, that sales skills kind of plays a big factor, especially kind of jumping into the starting off? I would say for sure. Absolutely. And and if I had a weakness, because there's a funny caveat to your question, uh, you know, after a number of years with this organization and I'd received my professional designation, um, you know, you know, I'll use the word. I thought maybe I was a little arrogant. I left the organization <laughs> and put, a, put out my shingle and now I'm a pro and you guys come to me and I'm going to consult. And you know what? Salesmen at selling uh, ability is really important. And I'm a very good salesman if I'm you know, deeply knowledgeable about my subject matter, but I was still on the learning curve here. So trying to go out and sell something, I wasn't even hundred percent confident. I knew what I was doing just didn't really fit well for me. And I think that came across. I didn't get a lot of work. I got some work um, and I got better at it, but I continued just to look for, for roles where I could expand my skills. Fortunately, I got a really good role in a company that, that uh, reimbursed, reimbursed me well. 
but it also gave me the opportunity to dig deeper into the educational aspect. So I completed education, post-secondary education, occupational health and safety. And it wasn't because I was looking for the pedigree or the, you know, the designation after my name. My whole goal was, what am I missing and what information in here is going to benefit me as I move forward in my career? And it was really quite, it was, it was profound how much I'd learned and how much I improved and how much confidence I gained as a result of that. Well, let me ask you, that. let me kind of jump in and ask a couple of strange things here. So most people that I speak to, they normally say that they either fell into this by accident or it was some form of punishment. You actually applied for the position, were able to do things with it, and you love the per- the people interaction piece of it. So as you started doing the people interaction, you're starting to learn more about it. You you were kind of going around a little, a little bit in some of the stuff from the information that I could, that I could find. It was designated as a corporate trainer, trainer and safety coordinator. Is that correct? Is that the correct position? Am I yeah, looking well, at the wrong? Yeah, no, they okay. took training ahead of safety. Yeah. So, did it become difficult as you're doing this combined role? Uh, no, not at all. I thought they were. They were to me. They were kind of a natural fit because a lot of our training was technical based training. So within there, we'd have lessons within health and safety. So I was able to kind of roll the two concepts together. We always put the safety dialogue in the front of any task so that people understood, you know, that's the way I started to approach it, right, was, you know, let's talk safety first and then let's talk about the task. That really actually made significant changes around our, uh, our, our production floor. We had, you know, as many as 60 production people in the department. And what we we're trying to do is just, you know, one of the main things we did, and I think this is, this is such an important factor, is this is an organization who wanted to be a learning organization. So they appreciated employee feedback and it was safe to speak up. I'm not saying to be critical, but you can certainly mm-hmm. give management bad news when you're not going to be punished or reprimanded for, you know, pointing something out. You're going to be acknowledged and then that issue is going to be addressed. And and that's, that was really, you know, powerful for me to see that. So I always felt it kind of went hand in hand. Well, definitely, it's, it's something that needs to be spring. It's something that needs to be sprinkled onto other organizations for sure. Nowadays, um, it seems that a lot of people don't want to hear exactly what's going on. So, let me ask the strange question because of the of the transition that ends up taking place. Is you're doing one thing one day, then the next day you're the corporate trainer and safety coordinator. So, do you get a lot of pushback from some of the people that knew you from your previous role? Of, do you really know what you're talking about now? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think because, that's great. That's yeah, great. I, you know, I'll tell you why. I think it's because I exude this confidence, and and um, you know, I'm just you know, it's not baffling with. I was going to use the word BS, but you know, it's not. You that. can't. Just, you won't, it won't offend me. <laughs> well, I don't know how many geeks were allowed, but you know, I just it wasn't about baffling with BS. It was about being very honest and upfront with them. And I think I I demonstrated and presented or projected this confidence and understanding of what we're talking about. But I think the strength to that, Jay, is always when you come across something that you don't know, do you pretend you do, or you know, kind of. Or do you actually honestly upfront say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know that one. Can I get back to you? And I think that that humility there is important as well. You got to have both. You got to be the subject matter expert, but you also got to recognize you don't know everything and you're not going to know everything. And you don't know what this person knows until you have that conversation. And it's important to recognize that you want that information. 
Oh, absolutely. So let me ask the, the question here then. When you start off on the journey, and we'll get to where you're where you're at now, but does it start off with a particular style of safety? Now, I just want to know at that time, not where you're at now, of course. Um, so, is it B, so is it BBS? We'll just add the extra B to the other BS that you're already talking yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't think I was skilled enough to talk about behavioral-based safety back in those days. What I was really doing is just, I think I was more in a reactionary mode, um, okay. uh, more about when things come up, I think, over time. Um, particularly as I worked through my my uh, my designation and and started to get into the learnings of what that was all about, was I then able to actually you know blend that a little better and and so on. So at what point during this journey? Now, of course, you've been doing this for quite a few years now. Yeah. At yeah. what point during the journey do you all of a sudden start realizing that there's these different? we'll say different kinds of safety. It's not just safety as people getting home, but there's these things that people kind of put in their individual buckets. We'll say like the different kind of evangelism. So which, yeah. at what point do you discover this? Um, I think it just, it sort of was more of a, a, a slow immersion into the whole field. I'm, I'm going to conferences, to be very honest with you, uh, you know, going to some conferences and hearing some other professionals. I'm a big believer. And, you know, if you want to succeed, just surround yourself with successful people. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading into the works of, you know, the Sidney Deckers and the Todd Conklins. And as I said in my bio, when I sent it in to you, I mean, I had an opportunity to meet Bob Edwards last year. I know he's been a guest on your show. What was what was fascinating about all this language and all this dialogue for me is this is stuff I already lived and believed in and was using. You know, my 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 career in at Northern Airborne, that's the avionics industry. And I, you know, and it's very familiar, very similar in the US. You know, we're regulated by Transport Canada. We're heavily audited, heavily regulated. And I ran two departments that were audited on an annual basis without any conform nonconformances. So, you know, it was about that whole that whole process there. But as we, you know, as I got more into it, I started to recognize how important the human element is. And I'd actually, you know, and what I was leaning towards is within the avionics industry, human factors is a buzzword and something important. The whole human factors concept actually came out of the aviation industry as a, a way back in the 70s when they started to look at their air and their air management and how they could fix things. They came up with human factors. I developed this course, and as I began to get into it, humans are involved in every aspect. Should we not make them the central and the focused part of how we're going to manage things? What what tools do they need? What do they have to say to us? Um, you know, those types of things. So that's where I, I'm continuing my path. So so who do you discover first? You did mention three names there. Of course, you said Bob Edwards was last year. You got to see him. But did you discover Sydney first, or did you discover Todd first? Um, I discovered Bob first. Um, we, we, had oh, really? big, oh, okay. um, we had a big dog and pony show, uh, with my organization about a year and a half ago. Um, and, uh, it was through that process. I'd actually went up and introduced myself to Bob in one of the breaks and shared with him a bit of my background. And, you know, you know, Bob, he's a very passionate, uh, you know, gregarious kind of guy. And he's like, you know, literally in front of all our executives and this, you know, there's 200 people in this room and he's, he's as passionate doing his presentation, his arms are going, he's over the room and he's flinging his fingers and pointing right at me and saying, and you've got an expert right here, you know? So he was like toting me. And, and at the end of the day, I've never really been engaged in our process for pop, but that didn't 
preclude me from getting on the journey. So right away, I reached out to Bob. Hey, Bob, what book should I be reading? You know, so he identified them, right? So right away, he gave me a list. So, you know, he started off with the five principles, of course. From Decker, he also talked about better questions. You know, he went into the, the guide, the field guide for understanding human error. And then the last one he talked about was the tyranny of metrics. I devoured these books, and when I started reading into them, I'm going, this so aligns with my basic human philosophy that it's just a natural fit for me, and this is what I really believe in, right? I've been a, you know, be honest with you, I've been a frontline worker most of my life, so I've been on the other side of this. I've been at the sharp end of the stick, and I understand the, the frustrations that are felt by our work. I see it in my, in my occupation as I, you know, as you and I speak today. You know, in our, so, in our, so as you see this, what is so? Where were your big frustration points before you discover Bob? So, what are you looking at at the time that you're going? I'm flustered, and all of a sudden, this is kind of like the aha moment when you're making these discoveries. Well, you know, I always had the aha. I guess what I was waiting for is when will upper management have the aha? You know, because as much as we're touting these things, and I think I said that when I reached out to you is. You know, where's the buy-in at that next level that this stuff works? Because we have an organization who's professing it and wanting to implement it, yet by action and by observation, you know, they're not, they, they're not, won't match. You know, the, 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 you know, the, you know, it's very simple. I'm going through a change management course right now. And it's, you know, the language is in there very simple. If you don't have that top level buy-in and or what's more critical to this, if the management doesn't walk the talk, you have failure. I think that's the greatest thing I see is that we have these workers looking for guidance and they're given a set of instructions, but those instructions aren't even followed by the person giving it to them. So that double standard, that hypocrisy that exists there, I think just creates massive void, a whole bunch of mistrust. Nobody really knows what's going on. And when policies and procedures are written in vague and nondescript ways, it's done on purpose. It, it allows plausible deniability, allows the opportunity to take, you know, this incident happened. Well, we can, you know, we can kind of take this in any direction we want rather than being proactive and giving workers a clear set of expectations and what is expected of them and, and have that in a dialogue, you know, whether that's performance review or however that looks, a tailbox talk. The point is, is without having any set of clear expectations, what's the worker supposed to know what to do? And I think that's the message of the new view of safety, right? It's like they're the masters of the work. Should they not be the one to help define how that work is done? And I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm on that, that bus, right? I totally believe in that. As a worker myself, I believe in that. Now I'm flipped to the other side of the of the fence, but I didn't flip my personality. I still am a frontline worker. I still want to work with these guys, and I want to make sure that they go home at the end of the day. You know, so when you start having the, when you start having the conversation inside of the organization where you're saying, "Hey, look at these concepts," and you're moving forward with it, are people looking at you kind of questioning some of these things because oh, yeah. they've already had yeah. because For they already sure. had something else already there? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the I think the bigger concern I had was the rollout. You know, the way the company decided to roll out these things. You know, having somebody who begins a, a, a talk on safety too and opens a conversation with, I don't have a background in safety, but I'm here. You know, that that kind of lost the whole audience. And you know, and 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 the passion. This is the passion business. You know, you 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 know, you're not out here just dotting knives and crossing t's because they're on. You know, it's what your boss told you to do. It's like passion. I believe in it, and I just haven't seen that yet see it in the talk i see it in our director for sure he's very passionate about this but he's one guy and he's a long ways from where we are 
and uh, many layers in between, and I just don't see it filtering down to us. So when you say that he's many layers different or di- apart from where you're located, what exactly do you mean by that? Like, how would you explain that to me? Well, just uh, uh, company organization, the org chart, as well as uh, geographical distance. So so do you think that this needs to be a buy-in from your perspective, of course, a buy-in from the director level, the CEO level, the C-suite per se, before it actually gets into the field? Or do you think that it should be field ramping up? No, no, it's got to go the other way. Be top down, right? You got to have your top senior leaders, you know, speaking to it, which they do, but demonstrating it, actively demonstrating it. You know, the best example I give of, of, you know, the, you know, what we say and what we do not being the same is, you know, I've been in my role a long time and, and I've had the same manager. And in all that time, my managers never once sat me aside and said, Hey, what do you think? What's going on here? So that lack of the interest in what's going on kind of speaks volumes. And I think that that is, you know, it's about optics, right? It's about, you know, the transparency optics and, and, you know, so if that was a person who is, you know, on a, you know, saying on a monthly or quarterly basis, Hey, you know, cause I, I kind of oversee a lot of different uh, people and, you know, we have nine facilities that I oversee and, you know, not seeing them out there, not seeing them walk that talk. That's where that, that message kind of just fades away like smoke. Fades away like smoke. Yeah. That's, that's interesting on how you're putting that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I think it is, I just, we 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 want to have people who are enthusiastic about this, who are passionate, who who don't just it's not lip service anymore. It's actually actionable, and and they're willing to take the training. They they don't have communication skill. Well, let's get some communication. Let's you know let's understand what is your communication style and how can we improve it. And you know, so when, when you take a look at this and you're looking at other organizations and other people that are actually struggling with this. How would you actually tell them what the approach should be? Sorry, can you repeat that? I had a quick cough. Yeah, so how would you tell people to approach this? Saying, for instance, there are other or Beg your pardon? Which people? Other organizations? Well, uh, or? That's, that's, that's what I was trying to get to. So, yeah. yes. So, so other organizations yeah. that are starting through the journey, how would you, how would you, if you were trying to lay this from the, from the ground level up and you're all of a sudden you were getting this moving, how would you start, start it from scratch? I think uh, uh, right away is just getting the confidence or, or the assurance from senior management that as we get into the discovery of what's going on, that when workers are bringing up their issues, concerns, and problems, that it will not be held against them, that they can speak in a safe environment, that they can talk open and freely. Doesn't mean they can be disrespectful or any of those manners, but they can certainly air their concerns. And what I see and face all the time is when these concerns are aired, they may point to something somebody above them should have been doing or was meant to be doing who isn't doing it and all of a sudden you're kind of that person's losing face and you know you know where which way the you know um moisture travels i won't say goes downhill but you know and so that 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 break apart there so when we can find that you know that flip the mindset of that that middle management set who's got pressure from above and what they're asked to produce. And yet that interaction with that worker, it's a big, you know, it's a big, um, there's a big uh, uh, divide there. And I think that, you know, being a uh, learning organization, being willing to listen to those, you know, to your frontline worker, it's, 
as soon as I read this, I mean, as soon as I read, you know, uh, both the books, particularly Five Principles and, and Sydney's Human Fat Air book, I was just like, yeah, you know, this makes so much sense. This would this would relieve, you know, we all know the research shows that, a you know, a positive attitude in workplace is, is productive, right? It's, you know, production declines when, when the environment declines. And it just, I, I guess my question and why I wanted to come on is I was asking, you know, I, I've been formulating this question to run by you to see if what discussion we get going is, you know, what is the business case, the business purpose for a chain of command or an autocratic management style? What, what, what sense does that make or how does that benefit the organization as opposed to a learning type of an organization who's really looking and, and at the floor and wanting to engage with their workers and help their work, workers improve their work? Well, I'm just, you know, what is the, you know, eureka moment or the, you know, the, the holy, yeah, this is it. I'm well, sure I mean, I, I, th- I, think, I think that's part of the conversation starting off because you have to understand that most businesses, of course, are there for the purpose of making money. Agreed. So, so that's the reason that they're there. Let's just be realistic. Yeah. But then the conversation starting off from scratch when you're making that business model and moving forward. Because here's where I have a hard time with part of the conversations altogether is why do we always want to put safety as something separate opposed to it just not being part of the culture? So if you do the culture aspect opposed to doing safety culture, you can change some of these things. And I think that the learning environment is so crucial. And, you know, you reference that you got to speak with Bob Edwards and you know that he loves learning teams, something that he talked about very, very vivid about. Now, there has been this other gentleman that I've been able to interact with by the name of Brent Sutton, that he has actually written a book following up from where kind of where Bob Edwards and Andrea Baker were at. And he's he's talked about this and it's called the practice of learning teams. And it's and it's really just kind of building everything around that subject. And it's not just solely using it for safety. And believe me, this is not, and this is not a pitch for a moment for, for Brett's book. But at the same time, it just brings a different perspective. And I think that if organizations were kind of laying out the land on how they wanted to start a company, this would definitely be an excellent start. Now, there's already companies that are established. But I think that if we take it down to the simple level of everyday learning teams, which is much different than just learning teams based around events, you might really have something there that you could move forward with. Absolutely. Do you, so is my, my question back to you would be then, do you not believe established organizations can, can make the transition? Oh, I think that the, that they can make the transition, but here you run into a couple of issues real quick and, and it's normally a presentation issue So let's say, for instance, that you have a company that's been established for about 20 years and they've been on a BBS journey. And all of a sudden you turn around and now you tell them that you're interested in having this conversation of doing something known as safety differently. Well, automatically, depending on how most companies are, just based on what I've seen, they're going, well, why are we trading something out that we've already spent so much money on? That's kind of the first thing. So it's all it's all on how it's positioned, because if you're saying that it's a trade out, then all of a sudden this is going to become an issue. But if you start talking about that, this is an enhancement or a bolt on, it becomes a different story because most of these companies invest hundreds of thousands and sometimes even millions of dollars into this. 
And then when you get to the portion where most of the audience, of course, already knows this, that safety differently or safety 2.0 is really a philosophy. It's the panic moment. So that's where that conversation changes. And it's really about how it's, we'll say not sold, but how it's approached into the organization. I mean, I think there's a lot of value added, but it's a bolt on. It's something from where you've already started and then you're continuing a journey. But sometimes we'll, we'll say that we have the people that are the hardcores where they're like, no, we race everything and start from scratch. And it, that's just not a realistic approach. What do you think? Um, <laughs> well, I think it comes down to, you know, there's a, a term uh, we use in safety all the time, the internal responsibility uh, system. So I think it comes down to individuals to, to you know, uh, it's psychology at the end of the day. What, what's motivating this person? What, you know, what's in it for them and, and what's in it for the person that they, they support and what's in it for the person above them? And how do we make all those people feel appreciated and accomplished. Um, I believe learning teams is the best way to do it. Um, I've never been a big, I'm not a big uh, fan of root cause analysis because I do believe in what, what experts say is, you know, it's, 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 you're trying to point the finger at one person making a mistake. And even in the training I did in human factors and avionics, that's never the case. There's all kinds of things that have to come, you know, it's the Swiss cheese effect. So the idea behind the new view of safety is I believe it, is, and, and I think it fits in with my current work environment is my work environment's reactive. What New View is talking about is being proactive. How do we look before the incident happens as to what those indicators are and make sure that we're looking and addressing that? Well, how do we know that? You can't get that from your office. You can get that from the floor, observing or working or speaking with that person who's actually doing that work. Or the work well, that can help you. Oh, absolutely. And then the fun part is that when you kind of take a look at the big picture of everything on how this started and you find out that this is technology that people have been talking about for roughly anywhere between 25 and 30 years, depending on where you yeah. Yeah. So so depending on wherever you pull the information up on, and this is something that the Department of Energy has been doing. And then some people will say, well, this is the Institute of Nuclear Power Operation was doing it as well and go, this goes far back. How come that this has not become like a wildfire? And not everybody's using it. Like, how has this not happened? Uh, that's a good question, too, I guess. I guess at the end of the day, I mean, when we think about learning teams, I, you know, prior to, you know, being in the avionics world, I actually worked in IT. I was, I, I was a, a consultant. I worked, I was an IBM business partner and sold their products. And learning teams was exactly the process I used in that consultation to get that person the solution and the system that they needed. It's something I've been doing. It's just that Q&A. Right. It's just that allowing to, to get out of somebody the honest, what do they need? And I think that applies to the workflow. Um, you know, what do you need in order to do this safely? And and I'm asking you, I mean, I, I did a consulting job for for an organization who fortunately for them. Yeah, they they were visited by the regulator and they had some deficiencies. And of course, they get orders written up and, you know, very simple things that. Because they had really no, you know, they, they understand they need safety, but they weren't even tied into this process. So, for example, they had two machines that did the same thing, but the levers to operate the machines were constructed in a different order and there was no color. So they ended up with a worker who was always using this one machine. And one day he had to move over to the other one and the lever was different. He locked his finger off. 
And it was about, you know, just him being dialed into what he'd always been doing. He became complacent. He turned caught. He was on another machine and he had this event. So what we learned out of that was, well, one, why are the machines different? Why aren't they identical? So that was the first correction we made. And then the other one we made was to paint all the handles, different colors. So green is for this job and black is, you know, so he learned that by working with that worker and that organization to really adhere, you know, what is going on here? Well, this is a problem. So by sitting down and hearing them and learning them and watching them go through their process, he made all the corrective errors we had to, and of course, they haven't had any issues since, you know, that's four or five years ago now. So that type of stuff. And I think that's what makes learning teams important is that we now, you know, this is the guy doing it. Isn't he the expert? And don't we want to, to, and if he brings up, well, I can't do it because this is broken. Well, now he's just alerted that we need to do something. Maybe he felt fearful of going to management and saying, oh, this is broken because management's always responded poorly whenever you brought him bad news. Go back to that so internal it, responsibility. We have to just, you know, relax and, and not take it personally and just, you know, want to address what the concern is. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, if people want to know more about you, where would they need to go to find out some more info? Well, uh, fortunately, I don't have my URL up because um, I'm a full-time employee, so I kind of put that down a few years ago. Um, you're welcome to share my email address if people want to reach out to me. I I love talking to this. I've recently joined the um, uh, Canadian Society of Safety uh, Engineering, and I do plan to get engaged there and help them with um, some of their um, ongoing issues and stuff. Just we're, we're, we want to. I guess right now, not only do I want to work in a safety role, but I also want to promote safety as a profession. And so, can you, so can people reach out to you then via LinkedIn? Will that be the easiest yeah, way to do it? Yeah, then? let's do that. That's a okay. perfect choice. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my name's under there. Um, and absolutely, they can reach out. And uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure, um, which is important, Jay, in all of this for me is, as part of my career development was I've taken an adult instruction program. I completed a, you know, a two-year program. It's designed to uh, teach people to teach in the vocational and the college level. And it's all about, you know, curriculum design and the whole, it is, it's an education course. So within that, those natural attributes of being able to draw out people in, and in those learning teams was really important. But what I wanted to say to make sure I'm clear here on learning teams is that them to be successful people need to feel safe to speak up and if the environment isn't set up right in front that put people at ease then you're never going to get a genuine uh, reflection on what you're after so that i think is critical and people need to and i'm trying to reach out to the worker who's part of that team to, to, to just say i feel safe i do need to share this information yeah, by all means, they can reach out on LinkedIn, and I would be more than happy to address any questions, concerns, and in get involved in your organizations if you want to hear what I have to say. Well, Kevin, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show. Well, this will bring another episode of the Jay Allen Show to an end. Hopefully you enjoyed what Kevin had to say today during the show. As we're right around the corner during the week of Thanksgiving. Make sure that you do spend some time thinking about what you're thankful for. I definitely know it's been a rough year this year. Let's not lie to each other about that portion. But boy, is there a lot for us to be thankful for. 
Anyways, thank you for listening to The Jay Allen Show. This will bring this episode to an end. Don't worry, we'll be back with another episode before too long. Goodbye for now, and happy holidays. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 440 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.